jumper on the way. Good! Tyus Battle nails the three. Dungey leaps and into the end zone for Dungey. A touchdown. If that's not on every highlight show tonight, then I, I don't know who's watching. Powered pass here. He'll get one. And he stays alive, and he's got room to the 10. One man to beat. He'll do it. Touchdown, Syracuse. And for Syracuse, party time. The upset pulled by the Orange. They defeat Clemson 27 to 24. The penetration. Step back. Oh, a pressure bucket for Tyus Battle. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Powered by Driver's Village and Hummel's Office Plus. How about that? We got a special new open for you. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our second show back from the summer break. I'm Stephen Fonte. Seth Goldberg continues to join us from his home in New Jersey. This is Orange Nation. 315-437-7600. 44. If you'd like to get involved, a lot of football to get to on the show today. We're going to spend hour number one uh, mainly on SU football. Dino Babers addressing the media as we speak as week one of camp uh, draws to a close. The team reported last Wednesday had their first practice on Thursday. And again, Dino Babers about five or six days into camp now addressing the media. We'll hear from Stephen Bailey from Syracuse.com and the Post Standard coming up in about a half hour from now. And then in hour number two, we're going to talk some NFL football. Mike Catalana from Wham in Rochester, our good friend there, set to join us to talk some Buffalo Bills. He's been covering uh, the Bills training camp going on 20 plus years now. And uh, we'll talk Josh Allen. We'll talk rookie quarterbacks. We ended the show yesterday, Seth, uh, discussing the rookie quarterbacks, whether or not the likes of Sam Darnold and Josh Allen should start from day one. I didn't really get a chance to respond, but we will get to that uh, in our number two. I want to kick off the show, Seth, talking SU football, though. And you and I have been doing this a while. Me a little bit longer than you because, frankly, I'm older than you and we've established this. We but remind you. We know how it works around here, especially since Dino Babers took over. You know, going into year one, everybody just wanted to see improvement. They wanted to see this new style of play that, you know, that Dino Babers offered and, and that he promised. And then going into year number two, what did we hear last season? We heard, you know, we just we just want to see improvement collectively as a fan base. That's that's you know the the essentially the you know the calls that we heard over and over again this time of year. What's the What's the feeling, I guess, going into to year three? Is it is it the same thing? Do fans around here just want to see improvement? Or is that getting a little old? And now you got Eric Dungy as a senior and, you know, year three under Dino Babers. Should there be more to this year than just let's see some improvement? I think there are a lot of fans who would like more than just let's see some improvement, right? Like, I, I think there's a large portion of the fan uh, the fan base that would say, hey, if you don't make a bowl game, you know, now this is on you guys. Like, you got the players. Like, this is now on you, um, you know, coming into year three. I think that's the interesting dynamic to look at because, look, in my perspective, is this a big year? Yeah, this is a big year for the Orange, and, and you would think that it would be important for them to make a bowl. But at the same time, like, I'm not saying if they don't make a ball, you're getting rid of everybody, right? Like That's far from what I'm saying, but I think that there are fans out there, um, a, a pretty good, sizable portion of the fan base, who would say, we've got to make a ball game. Like, it's time to make a ball game now, right? Like, I, I think that that's, you know, reasonable for a lot of this fan base. 
And I'm I'm curious to hear from that fan base. And again, the number 315-437-7644. We'd love to hear from you. What are your expectations? What would define success for Syracuse football in 2018? Is it merely, you know, winning five games and, you know, pulling off another upset over a pretty good team? Obviously, they knocked off Clemson last year, beat Virginia Tech the year before. If you see one of those wins and say five victories overall and you see some improvement, is that good enough? Or do you have to get to a bowl game? And and I'm I'm genuinely cu- curious about that. And and Seth, you say that you think this is an important year for the program, important year for the program in terms of where it wants to go from here, or an important year for like the coaching staff, like the the here and now, and and they need some wins to get this thing going. Isn't it one and the same? I, think, I mean, aren't those not necessarily? Like, those, but but realistically, like, and, and I've said this before, like. This is the coach and this is the coaching staff to do this, right? Like, this is the coaching staff to get this done. You've got a charismatic guy on the top who plays a fun style of football. Like, if this isn't going to do it, you know, pack it in. What is? You know, so I, I think that those two questions are, are kind of one and the same. You want Dino Babers to succeed because you want this program to succeed. So, you know, if, if you're going to go and win five games and you're not going to make a ball game, like, is that enough? Like, is that enough progress in year three after you've had three four and eight seasons in a row coming off a three and nine season the the year prior to those three like is it just enough to go out and win six this year and or win five this year and not get to a bowl game i know last year when we were talking about this steve when we said hey even if you don't win more games even if you only go four and eight again but you can see that you are tangibly a better team than you were at the beginning of the year at the end of the year there were people who called in kind of said, no, that's not good enough. You know, so I, I don't think that'll be good enough for a portion of the fans this year. Like, I, I don't think that in year three we're any closer to, to you know, that. Like, I, I think that there's going to be a lot of people who say, no, you got to make a bowl to take that step forward. You got to – you can't just go out and win one more game than your bad record the last three years. All right, so I, I think there's separate questions, whether or not it's – you know, you say this is an important year for the program or an important year for the coaching staff. And this is why I say that, Seth. Do you think Dino Babers is a good head coach, like a quality head coach? Yes, I do. And he's gone four and eight the last two years. Do you think if he goes four and eight again in again this schedule, Notre Dame plus the rest of the ACC, you open up on the road at Western Michigan, if they win four games again, let's say just for the sake of argument, is that going to change your mind about whether or not Dino Babers is a good head coach? Not me. No, not no. me either. I don't think this is a quote unquote important year for the coaching staff. I do, however, think it's a very important year for the program and for all the reasons you just laid out. Three and nine, four and eight, four and eight, four and eight. This program is stuck in a rut. And what did we see last year in terms of the attendance, Seth? We saw a lot of Saturdays where the place was half full. And you're like, where, right. where is everybody? You go four and eight again, that, that trend is only going to continue to go in the wrong direction. So I think, you know, this is a, a fan base that absolutely needs to be energized. And I think when Dino Babers got here, he helped, you know, infuse some energy and belief without evidence and all that stuff that he said. And, and he's delivered on that for the most part, except for the win total. And so I think for those fans that are, you know, the Fairweather fans, the ones that are on the fence about whether or not they're going to go to games on Saturdays and whether or not they're going to fill the dome moving forward, I, I think it's time. I think it's time for this program to, you know, step it up in the win total and, and draw some of those fans back. So do I think it's an important year for the coaching staff? No. I think, you know, to your point, Dino Babers is the guy. He has a, a system in place. He has a plan. 
and, and I think the university is certainly going to allow him to, to see that through. He, he's shown that they've taken strides. But in terms of the program, I think this is a very important year. The fact that you've got a senior quarterback in Eric Dungy who started you know parts of four seasons, you feel like you have the pieces in place to do better than four and eight. So now go out and, and do better than four and eight. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree. Like, I think that you've got the recipe to do something bigger and better than just going 4-8 and eight again, uh, which is why I asked the question, right? Which is why, you know, I throw it out there. You know, it, it, if you're sitting here at the end of the year and Eric Dungy stays healthy, or let's face it, even if he doesn't, because you have a backup quarterback now that you feel better about, you know, if you're sitting here in November and they're going 4-8 and eight and they collapse down the stretch again, like, I think that Syracuse fans are going to be disappointed, right? Like, I, I think that there will be, dis, le, like, legitimate disappointment if they go 4-8 and eight again. And, and I guess that's why, you know, I, I bring this up as a topic. Like, is it a big year for this coaching staff? I don't know. Like, I don't think that there's any worry about security. I don't mean it in that way. But, yeah, I mean, there are going to be fans out there who, if you go 4-8 and eight again, they're going to be disappointed. And to your point... Uh, how much further does this sink with people not going to the games or how much further does it sink with people not being engaged with this program? Um, and that's a legitimate question to ask after you've had four, four of these years in a row. And that's why I separate the two things, because if you're a coaching staff, what do you care most about? You care most about job security and you care most about whether or not you're able to recruit. And I think Dino Babers is rock solid with the job security. And I think, you know, based on what we've seen now going into year three, you know, with with him as the head coach, you've seen the recruiting has continued to get better and better. So I don't think this is a big year in in that regard. As long as he's got job security, as long as he can recruit and and continue to move in the right direction, you know, he's fine. But again, I think the program can only withstand so many of these. You know, three and nine, four and eight. You brought up yesterday Phil Steele's magazine and going back to the last five bowl games, and it dates all the way back to two thousand one. Like that trend needs to change, and it it needs to to change very very soon. Yeah, yeah, it, it does, and and you know, I, I tend to think it will, but um, you know, I do think that there's a, a large portion of fans out there who are getting, you know, uh, impatient, who, who are like tapping their foot, saying, "All right, you know, it's time to move. It's year three. Eric Dungey's a four year starter. You know, you've got your pieces in place. You know." Let's get this thing rolling. Let's get this thing moving. Let's let's make that step. Let's make that jump. Um, and and I think that to some degree, you know, to some degree, it feels like they have to show something towards that. Um, I don't know what enough towards that is. Right? Is is moving towards that winning a fifth game this year, or is winning towards that, or is moving towards that winning a sixth game? Right? Like, is, is it making that two-win jump and going to a bowl game, or is it making that one-win jump and just saying, hey, we were better than last year, hey, we were better than the year before? I don't know the answer to that, Seth. I don't. I, and, and I think it's, it's different depending on who you talk to. I think there is a faction of the fan base, the true diehards, that they see 4-8, and eight, they see the 2017 4-8, and they say, all right, that was an improvement upon the 2016 4-8, and eight. and you beat Clemson, and things are moving in the right direction, and if your quarterback could just stay healthy, who knows what could happen. And then I think there are a faction of the, the fan base, you know, the, the ones that, that show up as empty seats on Saturdays that say you got to get to six wins in a bowl game, and then I'll buy back in. Let's go to the phone lines, 315 437 7644 Scooter in Jamesville kicking us off today on Orange Nation. Hey, Scooter. Bill, and how are you guys doing today? Good. How are you? Uh, you know, I, I, nationally and in the, in, in the conference, I look at things a little differently, okay? Uh, to be honest with you, Jeff Brown was going to be my guy. I wish I know what happened, 
but he, you know, he wasn't the offer or didn't want it. And he goes to Purdue, where Purdue was Greg Robinson bad. If you look what he took over the program, and his first year with other people's players, they had the second most improvement of any team in in, in college football outside of uh, Central Florida. Went to a bowl, beat Arizona. So it can be done early in your program if you have the right system. That you know, here's here's a guy here that didn't have his quarterbacks as receivers. In fact, the quarterback went to LSU, I believe, and we faced the quarterback who submitted Purdue. Actually, actually, when Syracuse played him. The thing I'm worried about in, in the conference is Boston College and Pittsburgh are, are, are parallels. Okay, you know, we can talk. You know, it'd be great to beat Clemson, great to beat Florida State. Are we going to do it in the same year? I thought last year was the best chance. I mean, Florida State was down, and Clemson we beat, and even. Even Miami, we had a shot to beat them, and so we had a you know we had like a Wake Forest year where we could actually qualify for the conference championship if everything broke right. What I'm worried is as BC jumped ahead of us. I mean, they beat us pretty good. We haven't beaten Pittsburgh on the road, so I'm looking at the six wins. Are we going to beat Clemson? At Clemson, probably not. We haven't beaten Pittsburgh on the road, and now Boston College. If they jumped ahead of us, and that's the part I'm worried about is that if we're if we're now just you know, actually below Boston College, we have to elevate over somebody else now, which we thought maybe by this time it might be the third best team in that conference. Yeah, and you bring up some great points there, Scooter. And I look at the schedule, and I have much the same concerns. Western Michigan, Wagner, Connecticut. Again, you chalk those up to wins, but is Western Michigan a win? I mean, Syracuse is only favored by five and a half. It's a road game. Again, a lot of guys taking on new roles this year. You never know what's going to happen in that opener. You look at the other home games that they have. Florida State, do you feel comfortable saying that's a win? Probably not. NC State, I mean, NC State's certainly ahead of Syracuse right now. Louisville, even though they took a step back with the loss of Lamar Jackson, Louisville's ahead of Syracuse. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And then North Carolina is kind of an X factor from you know the other side of the conference. And we heard yesterday those 13 guys were suspended. But I, I believe only one of the players, uh, Tamon Fox, will miss that Syracuse game. So, you know, is... Is North Carolina ahead of Syracuse? I think you would probably say yes. Um, so that's that's three that you feel like they should win. Where are the other three coming from? That's what concerns me about this schedule, Seth. Is it doable? It's doable, you know, with the likes of BC and, and Pitt on your schedule and, you know, Wake Forest. But you're going to Wake Forest, to BC, to Pittsburgh. Those toss-up games are, are by and large on the road this year. Right. Those games that we always say, hey, you should win this game, you should win this game, you should win this game. And, and I know that we always joke that they're sitting somewhere else talking about Boston College and Wake Forest and Pitt and saying, well, it's Syracuse. You should beat Pitt. and You, you know, you should beat them. You should beat them. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it seems like those teams have jumped Syracuse in recent years, whether that's because of uh, the couple of years of Scott Schaefer, whether that's because of the start of the Dino Babers era, whatever the reason is, those teams have seemed to jump Syracuse um, as of late. And I don't think there's any way around that. You've got to find, you've got to find a way to get back ahead of them. And, you know, to, to Scooter's point quickly about Purdue, I know that's not the point, but uh, the Big Ten West is significantly worse than the ACC Atlantic. Uh, the ACC Atlantic might be one of the best divisions in college football with Clemson and Florida State at the top of it. Um, you know, so it's going to be hard for them to you know get quote unquote back, um, but they can't keep falling behind, and they can't fall further behind the Boston College, the Pitt, the the Wake Forest than they already are. You know, I don't I don't think the gap is so insurmountable that they can't leap them again quickly. Uh, but you can't afford to go backwards 
in relation to them. The other thing about a head coach coming in and turning around a program right away, I think you have to keep in mind that you know what Dino Babers was trying to do here and is trying to do here with the style of play, it was like the exact opposite of the the kind of player they had in the program. Scott Schaefer won with defense. He, you know, it was a again, it was a lot of Big East players on this roster. It was a, it was a different kind of style. And now Dino Babers wants to go with you know speed and up tempo, and and it was just a. a Totally different kind of athlete and totally different kind of player that he was looking for. So I think we have right. to keep that in mind as well with, with Dino Babers coming here and just changing. It, it was like a 180-degree turn with what he was trying to do, and now he's in year three, and that's why I think you say, and it's you know I think you're right on, that it is an important year for a lot of reasons. I don't think it's necessarily an important year for the coaching staff, but it is an important year for a lot of reasons for Syracuse football. 315-437-7644. got to take a timeout. Back after this on ESPN Radio. Jumper on the way, good! Tyus Battle nails the three! Dungy leaps and into the end zone for Dungy. A touchdown! If that's not on every highlight show tonight, then I, I don't know who's watching. Powered for oh! Soaring through the air! High-flying Slovakian! Screen pass here, he'll get one. And he stays alive and he's got room to the 10. One man to beat, he'll do it! Touchdown, Syracuse! And for Syracuse, party time. The upset pulled by the Orange. They defeat Clemson 27 to 24. The penetration. Step back. Oh, a pressure bucket for Tyus Battle. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Powered by Drivers Village and Hummel's Office Plus. Hour number two of Orange Nation underway on ESPN Radio, 315-437-7644. We've got our good friend Mike Catalana from Wham in Rochester set to join us in about 15 minutes from now as we, we switch gears, we talk some NFL. And, and Seth, yesterday, Max brought this up at the very end of the show during today's business. Uh, there was a report out there that you know Sam Darnold is getting a, a serious look from the Jets to possibly start at quarterback from day one. They obviously have Josh McCown there as well. And it brought up this whole topic about what's better, to, to start the, you know, the, the stud rookie quarterback from day one or to sit him a little bit and you know, give him some time to learn from the sidelines with a clipboard in his hand and then you know, break him out you know, midway through his rookie season or maybe even sit all of year one and moving forward. You and Max both love the start the guy from day one. Especially if your team's not going to be good, what do you have to lose? Go out, get experience, so on and so forth. And I said that I'm of the, the school of thought that it benefits the quarterback to, to sit there a little bit, get his feet wet, prepare to, to go out and be the starter, and then you let him loose when you feel like he's ready. I mean, how many guys are truly ready to start you know, the first game of their rookie season at quarterback in the NFL? So it got me to, to thinking, you know, I wanted to look back in, in recent years and see, you know, what worked best, I guess. Let's, let's put it that way. So I went back 15 years. The last 15 years, there have been 49 quarterbacks drafted in the first round. The numbers were very interesting. So do, do you have a, a do you want to wager a guess, Seth, which which worked better, which philosophy worked better? I'm going to guess waiting worked better because I know Philip Rivers, Eli Manning, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, technically. Um, Tom Brady. 
Tom Brady. All, well, well, Tom no, Brady didn't, in the first didn't go pick. in the first round. That's true. But I, but I know that those guys were all guys who did not start from the jump. So I'm going to guess that the guys who didn't start right away are typically better. So I'll be honest with you. Uh, I thought the same thing, and that's why I did this exercise because I was like, you know, I'm going to show them that it, it, it's 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 better to sit, <laughs> right? Because in the same names popped into my head. Well, you know, Aaron Rodgers, he's the poster boy for sitting and waiting, and you know, Philip Rivers, and you know, Alex Smith, Eli Manning, like you know, Carson Palmer, like they they sat and and then they you know were really good once they got the chance to to go out there and play. I'm going to give you the numbers right now. Uh, some of this is subjective, but I, I basically you know, broke it down with who was good and who wasn't good. So of the of the 20 quarterbacks who sat, who have been picked in the first round since 2003, so going back 15 years, uh, 10 were good, 10 were not, 50%. Of the ones who started, I'll say week five or earlier, so basically the first month of the season. So that includes Roethlisberger. That, that includes, includes Roethlisberger. Um, and I'll break it down even to guys who started day one. But of the guys who started week five or earlier, and Roethlisberger does fall under that, he started week three when Tommy Maddox got hurt. Uh, Fifteen were good, fourteen were not. Essentially fifty-fifty. So it's a here. Wow. So what we've learned is it's a crapshoot. No matter what you do, taking a quarterback in the first round. So we're both right. Which we all guess. We're both right. right. It's it's it, there, there isn't a right or wrong answer to this, which I, I found very interesting. And we we've said this, you know, going into the draft, right? We always say it's a fifty-fifty proposition when you select a quarterback in the first round. And these numbers break it down. Whether you sit him or you start him from day one, it's well, or in the first month of the season, I should say, it's essentially a 50-50 proposition. Now, it is interesting to note that of the guys who started from day one, there were 19 of them going back to 2003, 12 were good, 7 were not. So the percentages, but again, keep in mind that those guys starting day one, you're talking about the can't miss guys, right? You're talking about the in theory, you know, the Andrew Lux, you know, the Jameis Winston's. Um, yeah, but also like Blaine Gabbert and Christian Ponder, right? Didn't they start day one? Uh, Blaine Gabbert started week three. Okay. Uh, Christian Ponder did not start. Uh, oh, he did okay. not start the first month oh, of the season. Oh, right. They had McNabb. I forgot about so, that. I mean, we're talking Matt Ryan, Matt Stafford, Cam Newton. I mean, Andrew Luck. Those are guys who started from day one. So 12 were good, seven were not. So the best percentage in terms of success, you know, it again, it's it's deceiving in a way because, again, you're talking about a lot of can't-miss guys. And, you know, for a guy who started, like Blake Bortles started week three, Teddy Bridgewater started week three. Right. Uh, Blaine Gabbert started week three, so they're not included in that. But again, to go back to our conversation every year going into the draft, 50 50 proposition, you know, when you select a quarterback in the first round. And again, the stats bear it out whether you start them from day one or you sit them the first month of the season or you sit them all of the first, it doesn't really matter. It's essentially a 50 50 proposition with these first round quarterbacks. Right. And, and if I think back to our late April, early May discussions, Steve, when we were talking about the Bills taking a quarterback, isn't this pretty much what we thought? Yeah. Like, if you take a quarterback in the first round, it's it's a 50-50 chance. Like, you might find a really good one, but you might also get Blaine Gabbert, right? Like, you might get a good or one. Or J.P. Lossman or E.J. Right. Manuel. Exactly. Like, you might get a good one. You might also get stuck with somebody who's out of the league before their rookie contract expires. And, like, that's just kind of how things go, right? Like, it, it's weird to say that because, like, it, it's such an important position, and you, you would think that they have this down to a science um, but like you, you just don't. And, you know, for me, I, I do think, and I was thinking about this as you, you started introing the segment, honestly, 
I think that it matters who this quarterback is sitting behind, doesn't it? Like when we think about Aaron Rodgers and Philip Rivers and and Eli Manning, um, you know, think about the three quarterbacks they sat behind. They sat behind Brett Favre and Drew Brees and Kurt Warner. I mean, they're sitting behind three Hall of Fame quarterbacks. You know, they, there's something to soak up there, right? There's something to learn there. You know, is is Josh Allen going to learn anything by sitting behind Nathan Peterman? No, and that's like a, that's a you know, fair is, point. That is a fair <laughs> point. I mean, I, I'll go back. Just you're talking about the Bills. I mean, J.P. Lossman was behind Drew Bledsoe, and he was a veteran, and he had a lot of success in the league, and that didn't seem to help J.P. Lossman. And some of these guys started from day one, you know, just well, because— Well, J.P. Lossman might just not have been good. Right. Well, he, he wasn't. But I, so do I think there's something to that? You know, say, for instance, Aaron Rodgers learning from Brett Favre. Yes, I think there's some benefit to that. Or Philip Rivers learning from Drew Brees. Yes, I think there's some benefit to that. But it's not everything, right? Because J.P. Lossman is an example of he was learning from Drew, Drew Bledsoe, a guy who was in the league for a long time, had a lot of success, and that didn't help him. And you're right, maybe he wasn't good. Some of these other guys who started from day one, they started because they had to. I mean, look at Dak Prescott. You know, right. Tony Romo got hurt. It, I mean, he wasn't going to be the starter. He got thrown into the fire, and and he turned out to be you know really really good. Big Ben was not supposed to be the starter that early in his first season, and you know Tommy Maddox gets injured, and then he goes out and wins his first ten starts or whatever it was, you know, as, as quarterback of the Steelers. So, you know, some of it is is by accident. Do you know? I think there is benefit, and I will stand by this, even though again the stats say it's a fifty fifty proposition. I do think there is benefit to your point. You know depending on who you're learning from, sitting on the sidelines and waiting until you're truly ready. Now, you look at the guys in this year's class, you know, Baker Mayfield, is he, you know, what's he going to learn from Tyrod Taylor? Tyrod, I, mean, right. I mean, you know, it's not like Tyrod Taylor's been in the league for 12 years and, you know, and, and you could say the same thing about, you know, I mean, Sam you Darnold. You say about Darnold. Darnold's learning from a veteran, but it's not like he's learning from Drew Brees. I mean, he's learning from Josh, Josh McCown. McCown quit football. Right. Like, he, he quit <laughs> you know, now, Lamar Jackson, and it's a weird thing to say. But Lamar Jackson learning from Joe Flacco, there's some benefit to that. I mean, that. he's an elite quarterback. He is. <laughs> is he, though? <laughs> is he? Flacco's going to lose his job like week seven. Yeah. You can right? see that like coming. He's, he's done, right? Like that's going to be the that's going to be the most expected quarterback change of the year is when is when Lamar Jackson starts. Like he, it's going to happen at some point this year. Like it, it feels inevitable at this point. Yeah, as soon as the Ravens are like two and five. But doesn't I guess my my question is doesn't it seem inevitable with all five of these guys that all five of these guys are going to start at some point this yes. year? Yeah. Yes. I mean, so if you're so if you're going to be bad like Cleveland or the Jets or the Bills or probably let's face it the Cardinals, why not just start these guys? Yeah, like, why just not be just bad. throw them out there and and like yeah, they're going to take their knocks, but like they're also going to learn a lot better than they will on the sideline. And yes, there's something to studying up on the sideline, but I, I don't think there is anything like actually doing it. And it doesn't matter if you're playing football, if you're talking about football, if you're you know working in in whatever field you're working in. Like I think that actually doing the job is you know what will get you better. So. Let's get Sam Darnold more reps. Let's get Josh Allen more reps. If you think this guy is going to be the guy, go for it. You run right? the Let risk, him go. You run the risk of two things, though, Seth. Number one, you run the risk of ruining the guy's confidence if you put him out there before he's ready to be out there. And, it, you know, everybody's going to take their lumps. I mean, there is a transition from the college game to the pros, no doubt about that. But I think you run the risk of ruining a guy's confidence if you put him out there too early before he's ready. And number two, I think you run the risk of the fan base turning on him. If he is truly awful, like if he is Nate Peterman awful in his first start, you run the risk of 
the fan base turning on. This is the guy that we drafted seventh overall. This is this is the guy that's the you know the quarterback of our of our future. Um, you know things went south for EJ Manuel very very quickly. You know things went south for JP Lossman very very quickly. Dave Again, Carr. I'm, I'm speaking from a you know a Bills perspective, but I think that's the risk you run with Josh Allen out there week one. I mean when they drafted him, they basically said he's not ready. He he's not going to be the quarterback week one. Now all of a sudden he's looked good throughout camp. It's one thing to look good though in in shorts and and pads and you know not much of a defense and you know he's got a special jersey on so nobody can touch him. It's it's one thing to look good in those situations. It's another thing to you know to look good with with live bullets in you know week one of the regular season in the NFL. So I just think there's again from a Bills perspective, and I know we brought this up because of the Jets. I think Darnold is is more ready to be the starter day one I do than than Josh Allen and and throwing Josh Allen out there again that would concern me. I think there's benefit to him sitting for half the year until the Bills are, you know, um, you know, off that in the hunt graphic on CBS and you you know, you throw him in there for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean I, I think that Sam Darnold, like you said, is, is in a much better position uh to start than Josh Allen. And and yes, you know, much like I would have done last year, as soon as the Bills are out of the playoff race, I, I, if you're not going to start Josh Allen to start the year, as soon as they're out of the playoff race, start him. Like, I know last year we talked about this a lot. Tyrod Taylor had to be your starter until you were out of the playoff race. They made a mistake by putting Nathan Peterman in when they put him in, and, you know, they went back to Tyrod, but ultimately never got out of the playoff race. So <laughs> they never got Peterman those reps. Um, you know, if you want to use this year as a year to see what Nathan Peterman is, like, have fun, but... Um, I, I have more faith, you know, or or I would imagine the Bills front office, given what they invested in them, has more faith that Josh Allen is going to be the guy than Nathan Peterman. So I would tend to give him more live action reps. All right. I'd love to get Mike Catalana's opinion on this, and we will do that next. So quick timeout. Mike Catalana from Wham in Rochester. He's been covering the Bills for more than 20 years. He'll join us on the other side. Keep it here. You're listening to Orange Nation on ESPN Radio.